I'm taking us a little out of order and doing the speaker introduction first, so that after me, we could have uh, Javen read the scriptures and then Pastor Mac can come up and deliver the word. So uh, again, Reverend Mac Peer is a longtime uh, friend and uh, mentor uh, for me. Um, you know, uh, I think he, he, of course, has a lot of uh, experience and stuff that he's done for the Lord and for the church at large. Um, he's a founder of Concerts of Prayer of Greater New York, founder of movement.org. Uh, he actually went back to South Dakota a couple of years ago, but he's in New York every month and uh, around the world uh, doing a lot of that uh, kind of ministry. I, I, if I had to kind of give a description, I think it would probably, I'd call him like the influencer and influencer, right? Before that term was being used uh, today. And uh, I think he's influenced, uh, certainly New York, uh, influenced a lot of uh, leaders, and uh, I think he's influencing the world for the kingdom of God. So um, I really appreciate uh, him joining us, and I'm looking forward to uh, how God will speak through him. Jibin? Uh, today's scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 37, verses 12 to 36, which reads, Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of uh, Hebron, when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. 
Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites showed, sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. As we gather today on Sunday, October 24th, 2021, in this sanctuary space, I want to begin with a question. What is God's purpose for your life? What is God's purpose for your life? As we sit here today, I believe that God wants us to, to begin to define that, if we have not already defined that, and if we have defined that, to think about the significance of God's purpose in our lives and how he's connecting it to his broader purposes. I would suggest that for all of us today that God is inviting us to participate in what I call the double redemption. God wants to participate in the redemption of your own life, my life, as he becomes real to us in our own spiritual journeys, but he also wants us to fully participate in his grander redemption around the world. And so the theme in this story that we're going to look at, and, and it is what is called the Joseph narratives. It, it begins in Genesis chapter 37, and it takes us all the way to the end of Genesis. It is one of the most consequential sections of scripture in the entire Bible. It is the bridge from the beginning of the patriarchs into their time in Egypt and eventually through the Exodus. I want to begin with this simple premise is that you and I are all sons and daughters of promise, that God has made great promises about us and great promises for us. I grew up in a small town in South Dakota, and uh, part of Part of my journey is that my great-grandfather in the year 1914 began a family bank. He only had a sixth grade education, but God had given him the ability and a couple of friends to start a bank that is now 107 years old. And that bank, which began with $15,000, now has more than $50 million in assets, and it has sustained the educations and the farms of many families in that part of the Midwest. Each of us has a story, and each of us, in fact, has a racial story. Uh, in the last week, uh, the latest book that I've been working on has just come out uh, called Required. It is God's call to justice, mercy, and humility in overcoming racial division. The reason that I co-wrote this book with uh, co-author Claude Alexander is that we live in a moment that is completely fraught with racial and economic division. And we believe that, that part of the promise for us is that as a community of God's people, God's people have something to say about God's perspective on all of that. So each of us is living in the moment with a sense of God's purpose and promise. In the story of Joseph, we are introduced to Joseph in Genesis chapter 30. Joseph was the favorite son of the favorite wife of Jacob. The, the last time that I participated in a service uh, for Compass Fellowship, Pastor Daniel preached on the spouses of Jacob and the dynamics and the relationships and how each of them had unique names and named their children in unique ways. 
Joseph was born into a highly dysfunctional family. He had three stepmothers and, and ten stepbrothers, if you can imagine. All the dynamics of a family going on uh, with that many different families involved. And there was tremendous sibling animosity. Uh, the siblings would have known that, that Jacob's favorite wife was Rachel, who was Joseph's mother, and then Benjamin was the youngest son. And when Benjamin was born, Rachel died in childbirth. So we have all these dynamics that are going on in the life of Joseph. And because of all these dynamics, there is tremendous sibling animosity. And the first principle that I want us to reflect on is that each of us has promise and that we are uniquely designed for God with his purposes in mind. And in part of understanding the promises of God is entering into, entering into our unique stories that he has given us. I have thought about what is, it, what is it meant for me to be the son of a bank president? My brother is a bank president, fourth generation. I went to the university and studied business administration. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is I've thought about my own family tree is that I've inherited the same gene of entrepreneurship that my great-grandfather had. And even though he only had a sixth grade education, he was an anointed entrepreneur. And I have... I have been able to see a number of initiatives that have been incubated over the last several years, including the current one, the Eradicating Bible Poverty, in which this congregation is very much a part of that. And so each of us has unique promise, unique DNA, and in the story of Joseph, his unique DNA was that he was a, he was a person that could see and interpret dreams. That was his unique ability that God had given him and, was, and had purpose to work inside of his life. So the first principle is that we are men and women, young, some of us are young men and women of promise. Let's go to the next slide. We read the story in Genesis chapter 37 where, Jesus, where Joseph uh, has a dream about the relationship of his son, of his brothers and his father to himself. If you read the whole passage in Genesis chapter 37, he describes a moment where his brothers and his fathers will bow down to him. Now, in the, when he's told this story, he's only 17 years old. You can imagine the reaction of a family in Eastern Asia responding to this kind of story told from one of the younger children. So he's, he's described as the great dreamer. And the animosity that his brothers had for him was so great that they were willing to tell their father the lie that their brother was dead rather than disclose the fact and, let, and, and allow their father to live with the angst of believing he had a dead son rather, rather than tell the truth about their own brother. Joseph's immaturity resulted in his brother's desire to sell him into slavery. This is a remarkable moment. And many of us come from families where there, there's tremendous family conflict. Uh, one of the things that, that I've noticed in my own family, I have four siblings. My, my, I have a, a brother, a sister, and a twin sister, and four of us were born in 33 months. And when you have that many siblings that close together, uh, we couldn't be more different. Uh, I was fortunate. I did well in school. I was student body a president when I was in high school. 
but I have a twin sister who has mental illness. And one day, uh, one day the local hairdresser was talking to my mom, and my mom said, I don't know how to raise the smartest child in a class and the, and the greatest struggler in the class in the same family. So many of our families have this tremendous sense of struggle and tremendous sense of trying to understand the expectations of our parents. Uh, when, I was, when I was 22 years old, <clears throat> I was planning to go and do an MBA program that taught a foreign language that would take us overseas. And all of a sudden, I had made the decision to go become a missionary and to work with InterVarsity as a campus worker. And when I had that conversation with my mother, her expectation of me was that I would stay in the family bank and that's what I would do and, and be with my family. And when I had that conversation, when I had that conversation with my parents, I remember that my, parents, my mother wept. And one of the reasons that she wept, there was a sense of disappointment, but there was also this realization that I would be raising money from people that, were, that, that had accounts with the bank. And it, and it brought on her a sense of shame and humiliation that, that her own son, a bank president, would be doing this. And so in our families, we, we have all of these uh, awkward dynamics that can result in this, sen this great sense of animosity. So the second principle, it's really important that we pay attention to what God is stirring in the minds and hearts of young people, 15, I think especially 15 to 25 year olds. Uh, I came to faith at the age of 17. I met Maria who became my wife when we were at the age of 19. Uh, we started dating, we got married at the age of 22. Uh, we made a lifetime commitment at the age of 21. At the age of 25, we moved to New York City. So in a span of 10 years, we made all these major life decisions. And this is a congregation with several students and young people. God is stirring in very powerful ways in the lives of young people. And as we look at the life of Joseph and as we look at, look at our own lives and the lives of young people that are in our midst, it's very important, very important to pay attention to all the ways that God is stirring. So at this point in the story, uh, Joseph, is, Joseph is in the pit. And we, we turn over to Genesis chapter 38 and 39, and there is... In chapter 38, there is a sidebar story in this narrative. The sidebar story in Genesis 38 involves Joseph's brother, who's named Judah. In fact, Jesus comes from, Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. And in this story in Genesis chapter 38, Judah has lost his wife. He's lost a couple of sons. And he decides one day to go to town, and then he, he meets this woman who is a prostitute, and the woman that was the prostitute was actually his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Tamar had, had, dis had disguised herself as a prostitute because Judah would not give her the youngest son to continue the family name. And so Tamar, Tamar uh, deceives Judah into, into a sexual encounter and as a result of this encounter, Tamar becomes pregnant. And when Judah realizes that his daughter-in-law is pregnant, not understanding the full context of the story, he commands that she be burned alive. And then she sends to Judah a couple of items that he had given her. And he realizes, realizes his own hypocrisy, and he realizes that she had been more righteous than he. So this is an important part of the story. 
as we see Judah emerge later in the story. And then in Genesis chapter 39, Joseph is, working for, Joseph is working for Potiphar. And then one day, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph into a relationship he refuses, and then he is accused of, of molesting her, and then he's put in prison. It's important to understand that Joseph is enslaved at the age of 17. Now he's been working for Potiphar, and now he's put in prison. And as you look at this story, one of the things that struck me is that between the time that Joseph went into slavery and got out of prison, it was 13 years. From the age of 17 to 30, Joseph was either in slavery or in prison. That represents 4,500 days, if you can imagine. Almost, almost half of Joseph's life was spent either in enslavement or imprisonment before he got out. And the question would be, if that happened to us, we would begin to doubt the reality and the presence of God in our life, that amount of hardship and difficulty. And yet, in this amazing account in Genesis chapter 39, is that Joseph's assignment, even though he didn't know it yet, that Joseph's assignment was so great that God was radically preparing him for that assignment. God was providentially working in Joseph's life to prepare him for this great assignment that God was going to give him. As I thought back over our journey uh, in New York over a 35-year period, there were three moments when we thought the, we thought the world was going to end. In 1995, uh, our church was involved with a foundation that was raising money and distributing funds, and it was a matching fund. And we found out on May 15, 1995, that it was, in fact, a Ponzi scheme. And our church had, had raised a million dollars and had to write a check for a million dollars back to uh, back to another organization. That same weekend, our pastor's wife almost died from an illness. Uh, I, had, I had an EA that, that had a nervous breakdown. This all happened in the span of four or five days. And then the day after I heard about this scheme, I went downtown, I went down to Main Street Flushing and picked up the Wall Street Journal, and it was front page news. And so every day I went down to the Wall Street Journal to read about what I thought was the future of my own little organization in our church. It was a tremendous time of cha economic challenge for us. But yet God used that great upheaval. And as a result of that, we ended up forming a Concerts of Prayer Greater New York in 1998. I had been working for another organization, and we realized because of this economic model, we had to be, we had to be designed in New York for New York. If, if this new era collapse had not happened, that never would have happened either. The second great trauma was the trauma of 9-11. Many of us were in Manhattan during that day. I was in the Empire State Building on the 15th floor the morning of 9-11. 3,000 New Yorkers died the same day, and that was extraordinarily traumatic in so many ways. But as a result of that great trauma, God helped the Church of New York realize that we needed to work together, that the needs of the city were greater than, were greater than any of us could manage on our own. And one of the partnerships that emerged from that traumatic moment was a partnership with World Vision. And in that partnership, we raised $6 million to affect victims of 9-11 through local churches. If 9-11 hadn't happened, we would not have entered into that robust partnership. 
And one of the things that grew out of that partnership was taking pastors like Pastor Daniel twice to East Africa, and then that partnership resulted in 11,000 children being sponsored. That was part of God's redemption of that difficult circumstance. And in 2008, we had the financial meltdown. Many people lost their jobs. There were many churches that really struggled to pay their bills. But as a result of the economic challenge of 2008, we began a new partnership with uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And that partnership motivated us to help new church planners raise money and get started. It also was the birth of Movement Day in 2010. If 2008 hadn't happened, some of these other partnerships wouldn't have happened. We just had our 12th Movement Day on Friday, and this Movement Day was participated in by people from 150 cities in the Western Hemisphere. So, so God uses these great traumatic moments, either in our personal lives or even in the context of a city, to bring about a great redemption. So this is part of Joseph's journey. For 13 years, he's either been enslaved or imprisoned. And while he's imprisoned, he interacts with both the cupbearer, with a, with a cupbearer, and with a baker. And they have dreams that Joseph interprets for them. And, and one, of the dream, one of the dreams is ultimately interpreted for Pharaoh. Pharaoh connects with Joseph. Joseph, Joseph tells the story of what's going to happen in the next 14 years of plenty and then famine. This is all happening as a result of Joseph. If Joseph hadn't been in prison, then Pharaoh would not have realized that Joseph had the ability to interpret dreams. This is all that's happening in Genesis chapter 39. And the principle that emerges out of all this, again, is that the greater the assignment, the more radical the preparation. When Joseph was 17, he was a brilliant young man, but he was immature. He was, he was narcissistic. He was full of himself. And God used this 13-year period of being in slavery and being in prison to work out some of the deficits in his own character. I know that when I came to faith at the age of 17, I thought, I thought that I could do anything that I wanted to. I thought that, that the, the future was as bright as I could imagine going away to university and, and landing a high-paying job. I thought that was all in front of me. But it was along the way that, that God has given enough experiences of disappointment and brokenness to realize that God uses those moments to get our attention for something greater that he wants to do. Uh, when I was at the university, my, my best semester was my fourth semester at the university, and, and I was studying business and had gotten a 3.8 grade point that semester and was doing great. That next summer, I went away and was working all summer, got back to school late, was taking difficult courses, and had a 2.2. It was a terrible semester. But God used that moment of academic brokenness to prepare Mari and I for our experience at the Urbana 1979 Missions Conference. When Billy Graham challenged us to go anywhere in the world that God would send us, and we were only 21 years of age at the time, we responded to that call. And now we look back, we look back at that call uh, 40 years later, and we see God's faithfulness in bringing us to New York and now traveling across six continents around the world. But it began in that moment of academic brokenness in December of 1979, God got our attention to have us reconsider everything that we thought that he had intended for us. Let's go to the next slide. 
So in, Je in Exodus chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 40, we see that Joseph is now graduated to the palace. Joseph's ability as a teenager were coming into view now as a 30-year-old. There are abilities that you have as a teenager that God wants to develop and bring them into full bloom in early adulthood. Overnight, Joseph was elevated from the prison to the Secretary of Agriculture to prevent a global hunger pandemic. And God was working not only to preserve life in Joseph's time, he was preserving the lineage of the Savior for all of us. He had us in mind when he elevated Joseph. Humanly speaking, if Joseph had not prepared Egypt for how to manage their agricultural product, the impact of global starvation would have been extraordinarily difficult. In fact, it, humanly speaking, it would have impacted Joseph's family, the family that was the lineage and the, the future of the coming savior. And so the principle here, principle here is that God invites us to have a supernatural and super rational trust in his plans. Some of us may be in that 4,500 day season of struggle. Of what could be professional, could be personal, could be, could be, could be national. We're in the middle of a pandemic right now that, that, that has taken four million lives. Uh, we have friends in India, family in India, who have said that they think in India the pandemic has been, the death of the pandemic has been underreported by 80% from the Modi government, which would mean that, uh, that potentially 4 million people in India have died of the pandemic. That's the environment in which we are living. And yet God is asking us to trust him in the midst of all the uncertainty and the chaos created by this circumstance for his larger redemptive purposes. And the rest of Genesis really helps us understand the double redemption. When you read Genesis chapters 41 through 45, you read that Joseph's brothers had to come to Egypt in search of food. And then Judah, in the story, when, when Joseph finally meets his brothers, he has not seen them in 13 years. They come to Egypt to get food. They have no idea that Joseph is alive. They have no idea what he looks like. So when, when Joseph recognizes his brothers, he wants, he wants to make sure that his, his biological brother, Benjamin, is safe and doing well. Benjamin did not make the journey. And Joseph says that unless, unless you bring Benjamin to me, I will not provide you with everything that you are asking for. And in that moment, in that moment, Judah, who we referred to earlier from Genesis chapter 38, Judah, Judah offers his life in exchange for Benjamin. This is part of the redemption of Judah's own experience, that Judah had now gone from being a narcissist to someone who was willing to give his life for his younger brother. It's a really powerful moment in the Joseph narrative. And, and Joseph is exchanging, he's, he's interacting with his brothers. They go, back, they go back to Canaan and they come back to, 
They come back to Egypt, they, and, they, and he finally discloses who he is. And in this, this extraordinary moment where Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery now realize that their brother is the second most powerful person in the world, he was in a place to absolutely crush their lives. And yet in that moment, Joseph says he has, he has matured to a point spiritually and professionally where he realizes that, that it wasn't just their brothers that had sent him to Egypt, but it was God himself. God himself had sent Joseph to Egypt to help manage this global hunger pandemic. And Joseph realizes that he has been the beneficiary of this double redemption. The redemption in his own life, where he was becoming more like God in his, his, his desire to help save humanity. And he was involved in this great rescue of millions of people around the world through this economic delivery. And as we look at this story, the reunion takes place in Genesis chapter 45. And the Joseph's double redemption, the self-absorbed teenager to a global deliverer and preserver of the messianic line. That is the double redemption in Joseph's life. In principle chapter, the last principle, number five, God is as committed to our complete personal transformation as he is to the transformation of the globe. So the question we always have to ask ourselves, that we, we asked at the beginning of this time, what is God's purpose for our lives? Can we state that in a sentence? Do we have enough self-awareness around that? Uh, 13 years ago, I was privileged to sit through a, an experience called the Halftime Institute. It happened a month after my own father had died, so it was a time of very uh, significant grief. Um, and something very interesting happened in that, in that institute. Uh, we were asked to draw a picture of we th what we thought God could do by the year 2020. So that was a thinking out about 12 years. So I drew this picture. And I drew a picture of, of the Empire State Building, the island of Manhattan, and I, and I, drew, and I drew some other geographies beyond that, and I, and, and, I, and I drew some bridges. But the bridges weren't connecting Manhattan to the outer boroughs. The bridges were connecting Manhattan to the other continents of the globe. And I just felt that God was going to bring the world together in a unique way uh, in Manhattan, because Manhattan really is, is, in many ways, the capital of the world. So I put that picture away. I didn't even think about it. And then three years later, we had started these Movement Day events. I, I took this photograph, I took this picture out three years later, and I realized that we were 10 years ahead of schedule, that, that God had brought that by the year 2010, God had brought people from 34 states and 14 countries to our gatherings. Five years ago this month, we had a gathering in the Javits Center. It was probably the largest missions conference in 100 years in New York. We had 3,000 leaders from 400 cities and 95 countries. And the promise that, the, the calling that God gave to Mari and I back in 1979, 40 years ago, was now coming to fruition uh, in our own lifetime. 
And there is this sense that, that God wants us to be full participants in this double redemption. And, and there's, there's a unique purpose that God has for you, that God wants to disclose to you through your involvement here at Compass Fellowship, through your studies and through your career. And that's my prayer for us, is that God gives us, God gives us revelation around the double redemption that he has for us and that we get to be a part of something. Uh, as I think about the 12-verse challenge that many of you have been involved with and really so thankful for your generosity, part of why this double redemption is so important is that tonight when we go to bed, there will be a billion people who do not have a single verse of scripture in their own language. That is something that many of us are deeply burdened about. We've been working on this with Pastor Daniel and with the MNYBA. And I would invite you, if you're available, we have a very special Zoom call next Sunday night, October 31st at 5 p.m. And we're going to be gathering hopefully several hundred people from multiple churches to talk about this and, and just see where God is leading in this direction. And that's part of, God's, part of God's double redemption. He's using the international body of Christ in New York to speak to the opportunity of putting the, the Bible into every language. And that's part of God's purposes. Let me pray for us as we reflect on all this. Jesus, I thank you for this great story of Joseph, how you took a 17-year-old and, and you allowed him to enter into this 13-year season of enslavement and imprisonment. And during that time, uh, you, you were as present to him as you were both before and after. And you use this time to, to orchestrate his life, to put him in a position where he could become the number two leader of a country that, and his, his agricultural plan saved millions of people. And I pray for us today that we would understand our own double redemption, how you're at work in us and how you want to work through us to impact uh, the city, the community, the globe with the gospel. And I thank you for this church and its impact around the world. And we, we just ask, God, that you would do whatever you want to do in our lives, and we give you permission to fulfill your purpose and promise in us. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.